And I'm back. A little bit of a summer break there, folks. Uh, did my vacationing a bit of it over the past couple weeks and uh, spent some time at a beautiful place, Deschutes National Forest, specifically Subtle Lake Lodge. And of course, wherever I go, I have to think about the culture, the history, the politics. And Subtle Lake Lodge is a very interesting and important place in the Pacific Northwest. I'm a proud, lifelong resident of the Pacific Northwest, and a lot of forces are converging on this little 15-acre piece of federal property in the Central Cascades, and we're going to talk about it. You know, is this the future of uh, national forests? Is this the future of the Northwest? Who's there? Hipsters? Bougies? We're going to talk about it all. And I hope you stick around because we're going to learn a little bit about how cultures can consume their neighbors. This is how expansionism and imperialism works on a microcosmic level. Welcome to the Compass of Power. I'm Adam Wilson. I like to talk about politics, but specifically the role of geography and history in politics. And we're going to take a look at what's going on in Central Oregon here in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, if you are not familiar, the Pacific Northwest is very much like a lot of other places. It is in the vernacular one place, but if you actually look at it culturally, it's two different places or three different places. Uh, let's just start with the name, Pacific Northwest. Where is that? That's all referential to the East Coast. I really despise the way we use West in the United States because it clearly shows that we started out on the Atlantic coast and everything, everything from the Appalachians all the way to American Samoa is West. So the Pacific Northwest is sometimes, uh, sometimes it's Oregon and Washington state, uh, always those two, but sometimes it's also Idaho. Other times we include Alaska and let's face it, Alaska is farther to the North and to the West and has more Pacific coastline than any of the others. But other times Alaska is not the Pacific Northwest. And sometimes it includes British Columbia, other times Alberta. Wherever it is, uh, it's also called Cascadia. There's a little bit of a separatist movement here, which I kind of appreciate because it's built around the biome, which would be the Cascade Mountains, the Pacific Coast there along the Cascade Mountains, and then the Columbia River watershed up to and including, I believe, the Snake River watershed. There you go. That's where we're talking about. We talk about it as if we are Washingtonians or Oregonians, or we live in the PNW. Yo. Uh, this is the place famous for Portlandia and Sleepless in Seattle. Or if you want a really deep cut, it's the 30th anniversary of Benny and June set in Spokane, Washington. However, let's just talk about like California. Like California, there are multiple versions of the same state. And the states of Oregon and Washington have a dry side and a wet side, much like California has a coastal side and then a dry valley. You have Fresno and you got LA. And that's because of the mountain range. West of the mountains, you've got Portland and Seattle and hipsters and coffee and microbrews. 
And it used to be logging territory, but uh, that's really fading out and that culture is slowly disappearing. But the founders of that culture were a mix of Appalachians who lived in the hills and Yankees who sailed over by ship. And you get this weird mix of sort of exploratory, self-determining Appalachians, but really driven by Yankee government. Uh, So you get this super liberal uh, version in today's politics. The Cascades, especially in Washington, when I covered politics as a reporter, there was something called the Cascade Curtain, uh, which was a reference to the Iron Curtain, which if you don't get that, then you're just too young. The Cascade Curtain meant that once you went, got over the crest of the Cascades, if you were going from the west to the east, everything changed. The politics changed, the culture changed, and the priorities changed. And that is still true, more or less, in both Washington and Oregon, is that the dry side where the rain shadow is the east side of those states are conservative today they vote for republicans and on the wet side the west side they are liberal and vote for democrats and because most of the people live on the coast live in coastal cities to uh in washington's case which include a number of places on the puget sound like tacoma and then further north you have everett you've got bellingham etc uh Those places have the most of the population, so they drive the ship. Where I just spent a weekend uh, was Subtle Lake, which is a beautiful, beautiful little lake in the Cascades. And the Cascades are uniformly beautiful. And if you want to get into the history of them a little bit uh, from the Anglo perspective, they were sufficiently beautiful that in the early days of statehood, the first environmentalists, who were also Yankees from the East Coast and uh, other parts of the North, looked at it and said, we ought to set this aside. And Teddy Roosevelt, being a progressive Republican, was like, we have to make this national property. This is for the better betterment of America. And he kicked off the Forest Service. He really got national parks going. And the Cascades in Oregon and Washington are generally federal property. They belong to the United States. Uh, and they have to serve multiple purposes. In those days, there was a big conflict between preserving them and logging them. Today, there's a conflict between touring them and using them for tourism purposes and logging them. And Subtle Lake is entirely federal property. It is right as you get over the crest. So it is technically, I would think, geographically speaking, in eastern Oregon. And it's on the dry side-ish. It's kind of a mixed forest. It's not all ponderosa pine there, but mostly ponderosa pine. It has a lodge there. It's had a lodge there built for the people of America to come to the people of America's public land and visit and tour in 1920. It's 100 years old. However, forest fires happen, so the actual building itself is burned down, I think, at least twice. And the current version is from 2005. And here's why my wife saw it and really wanted to go is because this is a new version of a national forest lodge. Remember, it's not national parks. It's a whole different demographic. And those are like, I don't want to get into it. They're just the the most beautiful, most precious parts of uh, America. And yes, they are very great, but The concept is one thing, the experience is another because they are super crowded. So National Forest Land, have a lodge for the public to enjoy and enjoyment going out there and staying at the lake in a tiny cabin and fishing and and swimming and all that stuff as it has for a century. It became part of the culture to visit these places. And what I want to talk about today is like, what has happened to that culture? And the Subtle Lodge is famous. I'm going back to this is why it's on the map. It got taken over by uh, some folks who had made their name in the Portland Hotel 
industry and they did cool uh modern hotels they took old places and made them new again which is frankly part of the portland culture i think they're very good at it uh western oregon in particular is just very good at taking historic properties turning them into something new using them again embracing the old uh, values the old time logging old west stuff but modernizing it and if you go to most national forest campgrounds you will find that they are you know they are very minimalist there's not a lot going on. Rustic is the common term for them. And the lodges all have a common feel, especially if you go to like national parks. I think those are all run by concessionaire uh, Aramark, a national thing. And every one of them has a somewhat similar vibe. But this lodge in this place was taken over by some Portlanders and converted into, God, what, uh, I think they called it like we want it to be like your rich bachelor uncle's pad is what they were going for. And I I like to do YouTube videos, so I'm going to put up a whole YouTube video talking about the how the lodge looks and feels and what it's like to stay there as a tourist and stay out of the politics on YouTube if we want to go there. But here, it also raises to me the question as I watch this place, like, so does this mean that Portland has taken over this bit of the Eastern Cascades? And it's close to... Uh, Close to Sisters, Oregon, and then just a little bit down the road is Bend, Oregon. And if you look at, like, I often refer to the Nationhood Lab, they would tell you that the cultural geography here is that once you hit the Cascade Mountains, those counties that run from the ridge of the Cascade Mountains toward the Pacific are part of what they call the left coast, and everything to the east of that is what they call the far west. Again, misusing the word west, but the idea is like, in the far west, that culture, everything's defined by the ownership of government and corporations. Like the feds own the land, the feds run the water, the corporations do the mining and the logging, and it is a political culture defined by negotiating with that, sometimes fighting the feds, sometimes fighting the corporations, other times seeing how we can squeeze the feds to enrich the corporations, that sort of thing. And in Washington, this is still very clear, but it's fading. And it raises the question, I always say in this podcast, how does culture change? It raises a question about how can you displace those original cultures? Because the argument generally is you can't. Once a place has been founded, once the government's been set up, that culture continues for a long time. That's what I always say. Like if you are in the South, you're part of the Southern culture. That's just the way it is. It's always been there. If you are in the New England area, that is New England culture. And you may think that your politics are different than 200 years ago in New England, but really they're not. However, truth is, cultures can move and take over territory. And the classic example going on right now is that Washington, D.C. area has been growing and growing and growing and growing. And the tidewater culture of Virginia has slowly been disappearing. How can that be? Wouldn't people who move into Virginia be Virginians? No, it depends. And what if they are part of a development? that was put down there to give people who work in D.C. a place to live. And they really never engage with any Virginians, per se. They engage with other people who live or at least work in D.C. and then go and live in a place that serves to work D.C. Somehow there's a way for a bordering culture to push in and take over and displace the old ways next to it. Enter Subtle Lodge, Sisters Oregon, Bend Oregon. 
I looked it up. The population of Oregon, when that lodge was built, was 783,000 some people. Sisters, Oregon, the little town nearest to it, was not incorporated until 1946, I believe. So it didn't even exist when that lodge was built. And when it did begin to exist as a political entity, it had 723 people in it. This is 1920, and at the time, Bend, the big city nearby, had 5,415 people in it. That's when that culture of visiting the National Forest and staying in a lodge began. Subtle Lodge was rebuilt in 2005. You can go there and get awesome microbrews and nitro coffee in a can, and you can get your stand-up paddleboard and paddle around on Subtle Lake, and the population of Oregon is 4.2 million people. Sisters, which didn't even exist when that lodge was founded, population 3,475, and Bend, which is one of the fastest growing cities in Oregon, which puts it high in the running for fastest growing cities in the nation, has 103,000 people. Now, you could say that's not a huge city, depending on how you're, you're thinking about things, but remember that it was 5,000 people when that lodge was built. Now it's 100,000. If we stick with what we usually say, well, that just means like there's more people, more money, more power in the culture of that area, in the far west culture. But it's a different kind of thing. Like, I don't know that they necessarily would be renting e-bikes and pedaling around. And so while we were there, we went over to Sisters and it was just mobbed, mobbed with senior citizens at a quilt show. Just lots of older folks admiring beautiful super amazing quilts. I, you know, I understand that quilting also cultural tradition and it's gone a long way from sewing interesting colors or squares into like basically mosaic tile work. So it is impressive, but also there was a certain vibe going on of very well-to-do people in their sixties and seventies buying uh, artisanal quilts in sisters and you could not get through. And that got me thinking as it always does, I tried to look up the median income going on around here. And according to the census in Oregon, median household income is $70,000. In sister, well, in Bend, it's seventy-four, And in Sisters, seventy-five. Which I had to go dig around for the Sisters numbers. But it looks like that wasn't straight from the census. But the info that I did find indicated that was up 25% in just a year. So again, let's think about this. The... I, the median income in sisters when I could find it back in the day was 42000 in 2000. 2000. Year 2000, median income Oregon, 46. Sisters is a little low at 42, and Bend is lower still at 74. 22 years later, the median income is not quite doubled in Oregon, and it has now higher in sisters than it is in Oregon. In this little town of 3,500 people. What's going on? Well, I started looking around at the, you know, what, what one of the number one questions people ask when they go to Sisters, Oregon? Hey, can I get a house here? Can I buy a house here? Well, first of all, there's not that many houses to buy, but it's clearly blowing up. The purchase price in the fourth quarter of 2021, this is the data I could find, for a house in a little mountain town of 3,500 people, got any guesses? $699,000 which was up 32% from the previous quarter, according to this Visitor's Magazine that I picked up. What is going on <laughs> where the tiny old west town with a quilt show, the house costs 
$700,000. That is astronomical. I looked in Bend, and here you get two different figures. Okay, so the census will tell you that the median house in 2022 in Oregon is worth $362,000, which is way above the 24000 it was in 1940, the earliest numbers I could find. It used to cost you $24,000 to buy a house in Oregon. Now they're worth 362. But being worth something is different from the purchase price. So Bend, the census will tell you the worth of the average house is $462,000. You look at realtor.com to see what the average purchase price, if you wanted to buy a house there right now, $887,000. It costs you nearly a million dollars to live in what was just a little lumber town 50 years ago. What is going on? And is are these is this the natural growth of this culture? Is this culture like just economically successful and becoming more and more bend or something else going on? Well, I'm not an expert and I like really want to be cautious about opining too much here because it's not like I live there. I don't know people there. I didn't like it talk to the city council. But what I wanted to talk a little bit about today is how clearly we're not seeing uh, the same dynamic you might see when Seattle gets more people or Portland gets more people and it becomes more and more Portland, more and more Seattle. I would argue that the folks moving into this area have a different agenda. And here, I'm going to play you a little clip from this book that uh, my wife suggested I, I listen to because it's about financial independence. You know, like, you know, we're getting into our middle years and like, hey, how, what are we doing financially planning? And this is from a, some folks who kind of got into this idea of like financial independence, retire early. They got a cool acronym fire. They're a little weird. Okay. They're just weird. But Scott Rikens, who wrote this book, guess where he wanted to live? Here's a little, this is somebody who's like, I'm going to become independently wealthy and pick the city in all the world that I want to live in. Dream house or dream life? Bend was our dream town. After only a few weeks of living there, we realized we had completely fallen in love with it and didn't need to consider any alternatives. Bend is bikeable, outdoorsy, and affordable enough for our fire budget. It offers nearly 300 days of sunshine a year and a world-class microbrew scene. While I was still living in San Diego, I read a Washington Post article about Bend, and I found it hard to believe the hype. The article read, The city, the largest in central Oregon, boasts 71 parks and 48 miles of recreational trails. Less than an hour outside town, you'll find 26 golf courses, whitewater rafting, and fly fishing in the Deschutes River, more than 1,000 climbing routes, and 3,600 skiable acres at Mount Bachelor. Okay, so that's who's moving to bed. They are people who are like, I like everything this place has to offer, but they aren't necessarily going to work there, participate in the traditional industries or anything like that. They're just coming for the mountains and the biking and the climbing and the whitewater rafting. How has this affected the political orientation of Ben? <clears throat> well, here's, I, I, this is actually, I'm, this is just going to be fun because we're going to read right from Wikipedia because this is actually, you know, Wikipedia is not always well written, but here's the entry on uh, Bend Politically. <clears throat> While Deschutes County has traditionally fallen politically more in line with the eastern side of Oregon than the western side, this has shifted in recent years due in large part to the rapid growth and urbanization within the city of Bend. By January 2021, a narrow plurality of registered voters in Deschutes County were registered with the Democratic Party. In addition, Joe Biden carried the county with 52.7% of the vote in the 2020 presidential election, compared to 
6.4% of the vote for Donald Trump, marking the first time a Democratic Party candidate won the county since 1992 and the first time the Democratic Party candidate received, received a majority of the vote in the county since 1964. I looked it up. Actually, so Democrats have only won in Deschutes County three times since 1948. One was when Jimmy Carter got a plurality. Uh, One was Bill Clinton. And then 64 is Lyndon B. Johnson, who mopped the floor with uh, his Republican rival in the wake of the assassination of JFK. Point is, this would be Republican territory in the 20th century. They would be opponents of whatever the power was going on in Portland. They are the other side, like, rah, you know, those city slickers don't know nothing. We're not on their side, but now they are on their side. And interestingly, we did a whole podcast episode on the Greater Idaho Movement, which is an attempt to have the counties in eastern Oregon moved over and incorporated into Idaho because they don't like the super liberal politics of the West side, and they want the conservative politics of Idaho. If you look at the greater, greater Idaho maps, yes, they take parts of Deschutes County, but not Bend. They don't take the Dalles. They deliberately carve out these urban areas and basically give up the entire Cascade mountain range. The Cascade curtain is not relevant in this way in Oregon politics because it has been penetrated by the Democrats. Now, does that mean that these are Democrats who are still Eastern Oregon in their cultural approach and just happen to be part of the same party as the people in Portland? Or does it mean that the culture of Portland has pushed itself all the way into Eastern Oregon? Well, if you look up Eastern Oregon on Wikipedia, it's not really Eastern Oregon. In that, I mean, it's extreme Eastern Oregon. They only list like eight counties. They have, you know, in that entry, they just give up calling the Cascades part of Eastern Oregon, which is different than what you get in Washington. In Washington, the Cascades are still kind of the dividing line. Uh, but maybe not really, because if you go anywhere in the Cascades these days in Washington State, and if you are an old timer like me, you will notice a change in places like Roslyn, which was a mining town in the central Cascades of Washington. And yes, it was Democratic territory, Democratic Union minor territory, uh, Yakima, even Wenatchee. These are places that were distinctly different from the Puget Sound region, but now are becoming bedroom communities for the Seattle region. I drive... Back and forth across Washington all the time to see my family, stop in Roslyn or Clee Ellum, talk to the wait staff. Just ask your restaurant server, hey, how's it going? How's the town? And like every time I do that, I hear about how more and more people are moving in. Man, it's crazy. Housing prices are expensive. People are just driving to Seattle for three hours over a mountain pass to do it in the winter or just commuting online. Because frankly, now you don't even have to drive. You can just live in uh, Rosalind and log in in Seattle. But I, you got to think that that's moving the culture. But why? Uh, how can people in Wenatchee, who have been there for hundreds of years, how could that culture be assumed by a city so far away? And it really, it makes me think. Here's my theory. Why wouldn't Greater Idaho want Bend? Why would Bend start voting the in a new direction in the polls. And I think it comes down to the elite. It goes back to who can afford the stand up paddleboard and the micro brews. Like 
to me, those are pretty middle-class things. And frankly, I was there at this lodge at Subtle Lake. I visited the public beach where you don't have to be staying at the lodge. And everybody's enjoying it. I am not in any way saying that this is a elite territory. I'm saying it's surrounded by elite territory. It's surrounded by houses worth as much as that lodge is. Uh, there's a great online review of the Subtle Lodge, uh, which I totally disagree with, but I, I love it. It's great in the entertainment value. It's some guy like... I ordered the most expensive wine, which was only $70 and they didn't have it. And they weren't like even apologetic. What kind of place is this that I can't order? You know, I paid $500 for wine and they didn't seem the least bit concerned that I couldn't get what I wanted. Who is this guy? You know, same person who paid a million dollars for their house and sisters. There's a few large resorts. In fact, some of the largest employers in Deschutes County are exclusive high-end luxury resorts. It's all very reminiscent to me of Blaine County in Idaho, the Sun Valley region, which has got politics opposite of the rest of Idaho. And guess who lives there? Very wealthy elite people. So it makes me wonder if the way that, and I, I don't like to see people follow elites just because they have money, but let's be real here. It seems to me that a lot of what happens in our life is people trying to imitate the rich. And I wonder if the way that culture moves and that DC can take over Virginia or Seattle can take over the Cascades or Portland can take over Bend is just that you get enough people from, a, from that culture, from a different culture who have money and move into a rural area. That can really displace something. I mean, Bill Gates could move from Seattle to Houston, Texas, and probably not change the culture much because there's already a lot of people there. And he may have billions, but there's a lot of money there and he would not have a disproportionate impact. If Bill Gates picked up and moved to Dubuque, Iowa, I hope Dubuque's in Iowa, that would probably have a pretty quick impact on the culture there. And I think maybe that's what we're seeing in the Cascades of the Pacific Northwest is that people with a lot of money are moving out of the urban areas into these rural areas, moving from the Yankee-controlled cities into what had been Western-controlled rural mountain towns and just they're setting the tone. They're changing the politics. They're reshaping the economy. And that's how colonization works. That's how cultural creep works. Maybe. Those are my thoughts for today. Were they deep enough for you? Were they deep as Subtle Lake, which only gets down to 75 feet? So, I mean, that's pretty deep, but not super deep. I think that's probably where I'm at. It's what I got for you, okay? It's what I got for you. It's the summer. That's what I have. I hope you enjoyed it. I got to go pick up my kid. We'll be back again. If you got ideas for me, send them my way. You, you know, go to the website, compassofpower.com, adamehwilson.com, drop me a line. Let me know what we want to do, but I'm enjoying it. And that I can't go and visit some new place without, you know, digging through their social political history. Thanks, guys. Talk to you again soon.